This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. M&A is especially challenging when working with firms like fintechs that may lack a robust risk management program or are unfamiliar with the scrutiny that comes with financial regulations. In a session from RMA's recent Governance, Compliance, and Operational Resiliency Conference, Monica Bowe, Chief Risk Officer at Busey Bank, and Christopher Nestor, Head of Enterprise and Operational Risk Management at TD Bank, offer lessons learned in due diligence, managing the risk culture of both firms, common pitfalls and ways to avoid them, and other risk challenges associated with M&A activity. An excerpt from the session follows. So Monica, let's start with you and a question for anyone perhaps living under a rock. Can you kind of talk through um, you know, what are the, the benefits of going through an M&A um, type process and, and what are we really trying to achieve through that? Obviously, I think you want uh, growth from a, from a financial standpoint. I mean, no one's going to go into a deal without there being financial upside for, for the acquiring institution. And, and certainly some operational synergies as well. You know, we've had transactions where we've brought in capabilities or, or books of business that we didn't previously have or ones that help to grow uh, businesses either geographically or, you know, by adding, adding volume. There's always a lot of financial benefit. I think another benefit, though, tends to be operational as well. As, as you obtain those synergies, as you acquire processes, um, that that might help you streamline some of your existing processes or bring on capabilities or skill sets that you don't have in your organization. It's a great way to just expand what you're able to do as a bank. Um, I think we've seen a lot of consolidation over the past several years in the industry, and I think that that'll, that will continue. Um, it's been particularly hot in the mid-sized space where, where, where we sit, as you see banks uh, that, you know, have been community banks transitioning into that regional bank space. You know, we've, we've certainly been there and are looking to continue to grow both organically and through acquisition, understanding that in order to continue to be competitive as an organization, you have to scale and you have to add capabilities along the way. So Chris, I'm gonna direct the next question to you, but Monica, I want you to, to jump in as well. So aside from traditional diligence considerations, what are some of the potential pitfalls to consider during an M&A transaction? I think one of the pitfalls that immediately comes out is the excitement of, of a uh, transaction and not getting caught up into the overall excitement. Because really as risk professionals, we need to step back and say, you know, as Monica was saying, why are you doing the transaction? Is it about scale? Is it about capability? Is it about expansion of footprint? There's a variety of reasons that you want to do a transaction, uh, provided that it's in line with your overall risk appetite and strategy of the organization. Well, but a key pitfall is when you're in the midst of due diligence is not getting overly excited because we're really there for a reason. Does it fit our culture? Uh, what are the key risks that we're trying to identify? And, and uh, to, to make sure it's you know, back to that cultural type of fit, like these are some key components. So you, you don't wanna get overly excited in the middle of the transaction because we're there to look at the key risks to make sure that the fit is appropriate. 
I, I think that's a great observation by, by Chris. I think culture is probably one of the top pitfalls. You know, culture eats strategy for lunch as, as the old saying goes. So it's really important to make sure that, you know, those that you need from the organization that is being acquired are actively engaged for as however long they're going to be with the organization. And that uh, the folks in, in, the, in your organization that is acquiring that, that bank are aware of any cultural pitfalls within that organization that often are unspoken, right? So it's, it's really being able to uncover some of those unspoken things. I think the other thing to be aware of is, is kind of the compounding impact of, of change. Like change compounds really quickly. And if you're doing an M&A on top of a bunch of or other organizational changes that we deal with every day, you know, whether it's large scale projects or, you know, for us, transitioning from a community bank to a regional bank brought a, a whole new regulatory outlook for us and, and, and regulatory operations, how we needed to think about it. But we still needed to be able to diligence uh, the transactions appropriately and, and thinking about what does this mean for a larger organization. And, and the, day, the day work still has to get done, too. So making sure I think that the teams are, are focused on the transaction, but also focused on, you know, keeping, keeping the bus on the road for the work that has to get done every day as well. Fantastic. I think both of you hit on some a lot of points that we're going to dive into a little bit deeper through some of these questions. So I appreciate that good overview and, and insight there. So I'd like to kind of get your interpretation here uh, and you know, your thoughts about a typical timeline and what this may look like, right? It starts with someone having an idea that an M&A would benefit the bank in some form or fashion. In your experience, what happens next and until someone in risk is actually involved? Let's start with that. And then um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that timeline? So maybe I'll jump in first. So I think, uh, you know, exactly what you said, Jay, and, and this is really categorized in the RMA uh, playbook as well. But, you, you know, it's typically a smaller group there. Uh, more than likely, your CRO is at the table, your CFO, some of your key leaders in looking at a potential target, in, you know, and getting back to why are we looking at this? Is it because scalability, increased footprint, some type of capability. Why do we think that that is a good overall uh, uh, strategic fit for the organization? And so that's that first piece of it uh, that, that folks are thinking about. Uh, and once you have that alignment there where you've reached out to the target, you have a sense of agreement there, you sort of kick off the due diligence process. Uh, it, it, and that's one of the key components. Once you kick it off is when the other different types of risk and control partners, really the deal team is being stood up at that point. You know, from our, our side, it's it's very similar. Um, I will say that a lot of our, almost all of our M&A deals are, are relationship driven and, and many years in the making. Our, our, our CEO and our CFO are very thoughtful about partnering with organizations that share uh, or on the surface share a, a culture that is very similar to ours, share a belief system that is similar to ours and a business model that will work well with ours as well. So there are conversations that happen over the course of years and then, you know, a company's ready to, to, to pull the trigger. And that's when we start having conversations about you know, how does it fit uh, from a risk management perspective 
as well. And then obviously, um, you know, once a deal goes forward, you, you start the, the real diligence and really understanding what the impact is across the, the risk pillars, doing that assessment, doing some of that analysis. And I think there's some good feedback, again, to echo Chris in the M&A playbook that really lays that out nicely. And we've leveraged some pieces of that in our own playbook um, that, that we've built to execute these transactions. Monica, I'm going to have you expand on one of those. So let's let's kind of focus this on maybe the, the different phases. So phases prior to due diligence or, or even the bid assumption. So obviously there's a big role for finance teams and the credit market teams going through here. Uh, but what about operational risk professionals? What's their role in kind of doing this beforehand? You know, as as typically there is a very small group before, you know, real diligence is announced and before there's an LOI. It's, it's typically our executive team of which I am a part. So I'm at the table. So, you know, if there's a company that we're looking at, you know, from an operational risk standpoint, the first thing you're going to do is, is check the news, right? Are they prone to big losses or, or big mistakes? Because if they are, you know, that's obviously a, a, a red flag. I mean, I think the same is true from the compliance space. That's the other place you really got to kick the tires and see if there's anything that that there that is of, of concern or because of the, the geography, does it create concern from a combined organization? You know, that spills over into operational risk a little bit as well. So there is a, a bit of pre-diligence that, that goes on because there are some deals that you just know from the beginning just aren't going to work. And it's better to know that very early then, you know, to, to get an LOI and, and, and start having conversations and, you know, pull out on the back end. So the great news is that risk does have a voice at the table in our organization, and it's, it's one that is heard. We, we definitely have a strong culture of risk, and, and I'm sure the same is true of other organizations as well. But um, that's got to be table stakes in order to have a successful M&A program. Yeah, just to echo you know, when you think about what really keeps you up at night, it's on the compliance side. When you think of consumer-related type of issues, certainly all things cyber and tech, especially in this current environment, is another key component. And, and as Monica said, you know, the first thing, you, you want to do that due diligence, that initial news check around where there are big events, any data breaches, any type of cyber-related type of events, also the culture components, right? Now, it also depends on what is readily available. Is the target company a public company? Is it a privately held company? But really, you know, what's the makeup? What's the component of it? So there's those different uh, items that you can check off the list immediately to, to get that assessment around how would this target fit into with your risk appetite, with your strategy, but a couple of those key components stick out. Those are the first things we're going to take a look at when, when we're uh, thinking about a transaction in the early days. So you've both mentioned culture several times now. So let's kind of pick that apart a little bit. So in my experience, at least culture is something that can make or break an organization. And it's so important uh, that on most, if not all you know, kind of RMA's frameworks, culture is at the center of those frameworks. How do you measure, monitor, change culture, at risk in both of those institutions? Where do you start and what's some guidance that you'd suggest? You know, I think one of the things that helps for Busey is that we have a very strong and clear culture um, that is art articulated 
well, both in conversation and in terms of documentation that we share with those associates that will be joining our organization through an acquisition. Um, there is also a, a PMO office that helps us uh, as we integrate a new bank into the organization. And along the way, you know, there are employee surveys, you know, we're looking at net promoter scores. We're looking at metrics to make sure that, hey, you know, things are, are going as intended and, and if not, are able to dig into certain places to figure out where there might be opportunities to, you know, figure out where there might be some cultural issues or, or some areas where we might need to double click a little bit and, and, and bolster things up. Um, that's been very helpful in, in my estimation. I would say typically the cultural aspects of the transactions that have occurred since I've been here have, have worked very well in general when there is noise. Um, those, those pockets of noise are, are identified and we've been able to you know, work with those associates to remediate whatever issues might be cropping up. And, and normally it's lack of information but people don't ask. And, and, you know, once they get clarity, they feel a lot more comfortable um, about whatever it is that they needed to know. So Monica, any insights to some metrics uh, that you're looking at that may help others? Um, like I said, I think the, the net promoter score, we definitely use. We use engagement metrics as well from a people standpoint. And then the other thing that we look at, look at too is incidents. So if you're having issues where there are procedural gaps or instances of fraud losses or things that might indicate breaks in protocol, we watch that as well because it might mean that folks aren't understanding how the processes uh, should work, which can also be an indication of a, a change in, in culture as well. Yeah, when, when I think about culture, I think about it from two components. The first is on the people side. So as you're looking at any type of partnership with, with a organization, uh, it, it's basically looking to understand what their values are, what's their strategies, what's their risk appetite, how are they involved in their respective communities and, and things of that nature? So uh, as, as Monica was talking about, there, there's certain components there that you can measure, but there's also the component of when uh, you actually get to meet the folks at the organization where you're gonna know what they stand for. You know, at TD, we're always, uh, uh, we operate Maine through Florida. We're very involved in all of our respective communities there. That's something that is part of our DNA. Uh, we always say, bring your whole self to work. Uh, we are, uh, you know, extremely involved in uh, moving uh, forward with our DNI agenda and other components. So we're looking for those uh, partnerships that also share that value as well as we think about the, pe the people, employees, the communities in which we operate. The other component that Monica was, was touching upon is what does the risk culture look like as well? And so when you're looking at a particular partnership, you know, there, there's, there's a wide range of types of organizations from those that are highly regulated in the banking space, like most of us here, uh, as well as fintechs and other types of uh, organizations that, that aren't subject to the same rules and regulations and scrutiny that, that some of uh, us with, that fall within the large bank supervision uh, protocol. So there is a bit of a difference there. And, and it's really up to us to help educate 
this is why we do what we're doing. This is why we put in place the variety of controls uh, in, in order to make sure that we are effectively protecting our, cons our, our customers, our employees, our assets, uh, and things of that nature. So if I were to summarize kind of both of those points is lead with the why and over communicate and look for problems so you could address them early. Is that kind of a good summation there? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so let's change perspectives, right? We've been talking about we're the, the first party bank looking to acquire or merge with another second party. But let's look at it from the perspective of the second party. And your what's role of the second party risk management, if any, right? What are they doing to ensure that this is this is working? You know, I think it goes back to the point that that you both just made around open communication is is hugely important. I don't think that you can over communicate. And we look for those banks that we're partnering with to to let us know what's going on in their organizations. For us as a mid-sized bank, the, the banks that we are acquiring are, are fairly small, so they don't have mature risk framework. So there's not going to be an operational risk department. There probably will be compliance. I mean, I think most, most banks of any size have that. But a lot of the specialties, model risk, et cetera, you will not see that. So it's really having conversations with the auditor that also does operational risk to understand, hey, you know, what, what does fraud look like? If they have any special lines of business, for instance, um, Glenview State had indirect auto, which is not something that we had here at First UC. We had to learn about that from a risk management perspective as well. It's really about leveraging the expertise, asking good questions, and expecting that open communication from those banks that we're partnering with. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I think uh, depending on the type of target, uh, the type of organization that you're looking to partner with, as, as Monica said, not everyone has a, a full-out operational risk management function with, uh, with the whole framework, doing RCSAs and doing scenarios and doing all of the things that, that uh, most of us that are, that are uh, here, uh, you know, come as second nature, right? So it is, it is incumbent upon us to get an understanding of the current operations, looking to understand what issues there may be. What, what are the pain points? What are the roadblocks that, that the organization has dealt with? Uh, is there a sense of understanding of uh, process risk and control? Do we know what the issues are? Uh, and, and really getting that perspective uh, around really all things that, that we, you know, that may come as second nature for us. So is there a second line technology risk function? Is there, as Monica said, a model risk, a third party risk? Uh, thinking about all of those different components, it may be overwhelming to a smaller organization when, you know, as I'm talking about these different things that, that we have, uh, where, you know, you may scare them off, you know, to be perfectly honest. And when you think about some of the uh, regulatory components and the regulatory interaction, it, so I, I think it's good to take a deep breath, step back. Let's make sure we understand the products, the processes, the underlying control environment uh, in order to, to make an overall assessment around, is this a good uh, partnership that you wanna go forward with? Or at least understanding uh, going in eyes wide open to say, well, these are the issues. This is the required uplift, if you will, uh, in order to 
meet those expectations that, that you may be under. That's a, a great segue into my next question, Chris. So we know what we know, um, but let's talk about what knowing what we don't know, right? So especially in those situations where the bank is going through some M&A or a new product or a new market segment, Obviously, it's not something they do now. That's the reason why they're they're going through the M and A. Um, but especially when it's a field that we're maybe not super adverse and certainly not efficient in. And I'll just use the example of you know a fintech that's managing digital assets in the metaverse. I don't think a lot of folks, at least watching this, have your great expertise in in either of those. So, how would you recommend to quickly gain expertise in trying to understand what new risk you're going to bring in? I'll, I'll start if you if you want, Chris. I mean, I think one of the right. things is I, you have to know, you know, if it's something that you want to do or want to add to your to your business model, you're either going to have learned already learned something about it, or you're going to have brought in some of the skill sets that will help to lead that function for you, right? So you're you're already going to do some preliminary legwork on something that is entirely new to your organization. You know, we understand, for instance, that, um, you know, the fintech space is, is, is really big and, and the partnerships with the banking industry. We actually have a fintech sub um, called First Tech, and we've made some investments there with some leaders that we've brought in from, from fintechs to help grow that business, understanding that if that's a, a portion of the business that we want to grow, we need to make those preliminary investments in order to drive that future growth. So you got to do some legwork, I think, on the front end. And then relative to, you know, businesses that you might dabble in, but you're growing, you know, the hope is that you're bringing on some really good associates from, from the, the bank that you're actually partnering with that will become associates at, at your bank and help that business continue to flir- flourish and advance beyond what it is. Yes, but it's spot on. You know, when I think about, um, you know, it gets back to where we originally started this conversation around the why, right? And and why is this partnership a good fit? What is what, what exactly are we looking for with it? But there is certainly some components, especially when I think from the, from the fintech space around, we've got to get up to speed, right? Now, we may have that within uh, our first line is looking at this capability because it's a need they've identified. But we always say we don't take on risks that we don't understand, right? We don't bet the bank. We don't make these large types of investments and in things that we don't understand. So we've got to step back and get up to speed and to make sure that we're asking the right questions around what is the impact of taking on this particular product, uh, operations, uh, uh, footprint expansion, whatever it may be, we've got to ask the right questions to make sure we understand it first and foremost. We understand the risks, and we understand, you know, to your point around what we don't know. And you know, it, does that mean going out, getting certain expertise, uh, getting some consulting help, whatever it may be, to make sure that we can make the best informed decision that this is the right move for our organization. So let's, again, kind of change perspective here. Um, I know we have a lot of uh, audience members from our mid-sized bank size. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk through some unique challenges to M&A in that mid-sized space. Well, we actually fall within the large bank space, right? So, you know, it, it goes back to what I've what I talked about, where 
we have an enterprise risk function, an operational risk function. But I think, as, as Monica had said, that as you look at the, the smaller type of institutions may not have those various components. Well, one of the things we're looking at is to, is to get an understanding of the overall control environment, meeting with the chief risk officer, meeting with uh, you know whoever covers the risk function, and meeting with first and second line, third line, really across lines of defense to get that understanding of uh, what makes up this institution, what is their strategy, what's their culture. So I think you can still make an assessment, even though uh, it may not be a one-for-one -one that they have a an operist function similar to you or third party or model, all of those different things there. But you can make that assessment around, well, here's what's in place. And here's the culture. Here's the, uh, you know, simply people, process, and technology to step back and say, what are the key issues? Because whether there's a risk function or not, we're still looking at the same types of things. We're looking to assess how does it fit into strategy? And then as you look at the combination of the two entities, what does that do to the overall uh, uh, risk appetite and, and functions uh, to, uh, to be able to make sure that it's successful? So where uh, maybe uh, you know, the, the organization that has some of these embedded frameworks and components can help lean in and uplift the, uh, the, the other organization around well, this is the expectations around controls and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I think Chris is absolutely spot on. You know, the biggest challenges in, in during acquisitions in the mid-size space is that you're just not going to have those form formalized functions where everything is nicely segmented and, and packaged. You have to do a little bit more investigative work, you know, to, to, to Chris's point. All of the information about operational risk or model risk or whatever the case may be there. You just may not be talking to the chief operational risk officer. You may be talking to someone in operations or whatever the case may be. I think it's getting comfortable with doing um, as much quantitative assessment as you can and layering that with qualitative assessment but making sure that you are really looking at each of the risk categories that you measure and say, okay, how is this acquisition going to impact our appetite in each of these categories? And, and as I say, like some of them will be easy. The financial risks are all going to be quantitative and really easy to calculate. The non-financial risk will be more qualitative, but you know, we still have to understand how we think that transaction will impact our overall um, performance versus our appetite. You know, and one thing I wanted to add is that uh, in looking at a variety of, of transactions throughout my career, a lot of times I see really good practices at, at smaller institutions. So I don't want to just brush it off and say, hey, you know, a smaller place isn't going to have that capabilities. In fact, a lot of times you're seeing they've got a, a much better handle on the full end-to-end -end ecosystem of the organization. And, and so, you know, you've got to go into these, uh, these types of discussions completely open-minded where you want to get the best out of both organizations. Because at the end of the day, uh, that's what's going to get you to the next level. That's what's going to make a successful type of transaction where you can take the best of both worlds and really leverage those capabilities that have been built up throughout both organizations to, to really drive towards a truly successful uh, new organization. 
I think that's a great point. I can attest that there's a lot of uh, former large bank uh, associates and myself included at mid-sized banks. Um, it's a different challenge, but you know, along with the, a lot of that experience, large bank experience just comes a deep understanding of how risk management works, even if you don't have 400 people running a risk shop. You might have four, but you know that you're covering all the, the, the basis. So I think that's a, a great point to make, Chris. Fantastic. So Monica, I want, I want to kind of dive into one of the comments you made just a few minutes ago about the, the non-financial risk and, and going through that. So how do you consider managing this increased risk during integration period? You know, it's, I, we have a laser focus on change management. Um, it is it is one of the risks as a CRO that keeps me up at night. Like when we have too many balls in the air, you, you, you just wonder, you know, like what's going to happen if one of them falls and, and they're all significant and they're all incredibly important. So there are always there is not a top risk list that I don't have change management on. It is something that we talk about in our management risk committee with our risk committee of the board. I mean, it's something that we stay laser focused on. We really do leverage our, our PMO is our great partners in helping us manage that the risk around that change during the integration period, um, because there are typically, again, several large projects going on in the organization along with the integration. And there are milestones that are in place and, and um, guardrails and checkpoints that help to make sure that we're staying on target in terms of where we need to be. And if things are late or if results are different than expected, you know, there are conversations around that. When we have our integration teams, you know, I sit on a team, our CEOs on teams, you know, our chief of staff is on a team. We're, we're all from the executive team on down engaged to make sure that the integration goes as expected. And then we're leveraging our KPIs and our KRIs to manage our core business. And if we start to see any, you know, deviation in those, we know that we need to manage things a bit differently on the, the, the BAU side. Fantastic. And I think I, uh, you know, apologies, I think I missed uh, one of the steps through here. But Chris, uh, I'm turning this one to you. It's day one or legal day one, right? What are your legal teams doing uh, on, on that day? Well, you know, I, I think, and, and this carries over from uh, what Monica was saying around leading up to this, you know, the change management component is huge. And it's not just systems, right? Like that's really, you know, you can't, there's, you're limited to what you can do prior to legal day one. But afterwards, as you think about how we're looking at operations, how we're looking at systems, um, you know, th there needs to be laser focus, as Monica said, to really make sure it's a successful integration. But it's not just systems, it's customers. And more importantly, it's the employees as well. And it's making sure that uh, folks really understand that this is the, the key priorities to, to get these two organizations uh, in line and, and, uh, and in sync for, you know, to, now that they're part of the larger uh, a combined entity, and and that's a, that's a key uh, focus area. So it's not only just the the change component uh, on systems and processes, but also people, uh, our employees, as well as our customers, and making sure that we're all aligned as far as uh, uh, the new organization. 
But back to your question around, you know, it's legal day one. And now, you know, as the, uh, you know, now you have the combined organization. And so you're starting or, or now, you know, those plans are moving forward. But one of the things I think about, like shortly thereafter legal day one, I need to have an overall view as, as from an operational risk perspective of the operational risk profile of the organization. And that starts the day you own it. And so, you know, there's a variety of ways that, that, that you can bring that together, but it's really, uh, you know, maybe it's your existing uh, profile plus the acquired institution, you know, it's A plus B equals your new uh, organization. And over time, you bring that in together uh, under, on, on say, uh, you know, one overall reporting template. But uh, that's the key component on day one. It's now a combined organization. You own the risk. You own the issues. If something goes wrong, you need to make sure that, that you're on top of it. So the legwork uh, all of the work leading up to legal day one to make sure who's who, these are the reporting components, you know, everything that you can do that you're allowed to do prior to legal day one to make sure that come that first day that you can, you know, really, uh, what's my risk appetite? What's the combined risk appetite? How am I thinking about metrics? How am I thinking about issues? How's the board going to be updated? How's the regulators going to be updated? All of that has to happen, you know, come day one. And it's a lot of work. Thank you, sir. Um, so let's maybe look into um, a little more micro, you know, look here. So we talked about the larger integration of, of employees at large. Uh, and Monica, I think you had made the comment earlier, most times when you're acquiring these entities, they have little to no kind of risk management, you know, to go through here. But Assuming they do, you know, what are your recommendations about handling the two sets of risk professionals, two sets of policies, procedures, and potentially two GRC systems, and obviously two different taxonomies, right? So, how what do you go about um, integrating and simulating these two together? For the the transactions that we've had so far, we we have not had that issue, which which has been great. You know, relative to risk management professionals. Given that we're an organization that's in growth mode, that's maturing our risk processes and, and frameworks, you know, we are always looking for good people. So, you know, if an institution that's being acquired has some risk management staff that wants to bring those capabilities on board, we are, are certainly open uh, to that. Relative to GRC systems, again, those those institutions have not had those. But, you know, we are very fortunate to, to leverage Archer um, and to have some great partners that help us to uh, manage that system. So in the uh, in the if we are to uh, find an organization that does have a GRC system, we, GRC system, we will leverage those partners to help us with that integration and and to walk over that risk system onto our own. You know, we do recognize as a growing institution, as we continue to grow, our, our, the banks that we're acquiring will likely get bigger as well. So we'll start to see some maturing risk frameworks. So we're putting those processes in place today that we'll be able to leverage for those future transactions. Yeah, totally agree. I think that you know, that's really what you find out during due diligence to a certain extent, uh, where you're able to, you know, if the, um, if the institution has 
an operational risk framework, an enterprise framework? Do they have risk appetite? Do they have all the different uh, program elements? That's one thing. If they don't, it's, you know, as Monica said, it's, it's an easy type of uh, question or an easy type of response where then you would assume that they would, uh, you know, adopt uh, the prevailing policy framework standards uh, and underlying components. But I think one of, you know, I get back to going into these types of transactions with an open mind to say, well, let me take a look at what's the best component. Maybe there's a better element. Uh, maybe they've thought about uh, different risk appetite metrics than, than we've thought about. And how can I integrate that to make sure? And I, and I think by having that sort of open mind that you get the buy-in of the other institution where you start to say, look, we're all going to work together, right? Like we've got to make sure that we can, uh, you know, and, and it's not being dismissive that my stuff is the best uh, because, you know, we're all maturing in our respective functions, right? We all have, you know, whether we are continuing to build out our change management frameworks, our product assessments, whatever it may be, uh, that there's always room for improvement. And I think if you go into it that way, it helps uh, to get that buy-in of your future colleagues. And so that's how we've approached things in the past. That's how I've approached it personally at, at a, across uh, a variety of institutions. And I think that makes for you know, a more successful, uh, integrated, uh, and really a true partner uh, you know, as, as you start to integrate further. Fantastic. Monica, Chris, very insightful session today. Again, thank you so much for your time and attendance and, and insight. I just, it's been fantastic. Uh, pleasure working with you guys, and we certainly look forward to uh, some future successes.